we are on the fifth commandment today, which is you shall not murder. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. Before we get to the Ten Commandments, I want to remind you that Pastor Jeremy Maddock is also covering the Ten Commandments in his podcast, Bible Breath. If you haven't heard Pastor Jeremy teach, you should know that he is incredibly gifted at taking really hard concepts and breaking them down into easy to understand bite-sized pieces. So it'll really add a lot to your study of the Ten Commandments if you listen to him. So just check out the episode notes and we'll put a link there to send you right on over. Now, I learned a lot about this commandment from Luther. He um, has a lot to say about it. But first, we're going to start with Jesus teaching. So in Matthew 5, verses 20 to 21, he explains this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus said, you know, it's it's not just about, you know, stabbing someone and murdering them. That's not at the heart of this commandment. It's about being angry and the things that we do in our anger to destroy other people. So what are those things? Well, have you ever talked behind someone's back? So somebody does something to you and you make sure that everyone you know knows what they did. That is destroying their character. Why is that a bad thing? Well, listen, don't we all do things that we're not proud of? We all sin all the time. What does the Bible tell us we're supposed to do if somebody sins against us? We're supposed to go to that person and talk to them and explain how you felt, how that hurt you. And hopefully by doing that, that's all it takes for that person to go, oh, I'm super sorry. Either I didn't realize it or you're right. I wasn't, I wasn't acting right. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I, whatever. Now, even if they don't, what are we supposed to do from there? Well, if we don't and they're a Christian, then we should go get someone else. Go get another fellow believer and say, you know, hey, we're here because we're concerned about what went on. If they're not a Christian, you might have to just put these things in God's hands. So I have coworkers who aren't churchgoers. They've never been churchgoers. They don't know God's ways. And once in a while, really just really, I think once that I can think of, once or maybe twice, I've had to go to a coworker and say, hey, you know, when you do this, or this is sort of affecting our work. So I just wanted to let you know. And one time, the coworker was totally taken off guard, as if, you know, no one had ever approached him before, like, hey, and didn't say much. But as soon as I left work, started texting me. Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I simply replied, I don't fight over text. 
I'd be happy to talk face-to-face and further go into this, but I'm not going to fight over text because so much can be misread. You can't see my face. You don't know the heart behind what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to do this. And besides the fact that if you only have the courage to say something behind a keyboard or when you're texting it on their phone, um, not cool. Like, people say so many mean things because they're not face-to-face. My guess is you would never say it that way if you were looking the person in the eye because you would know that they're a child of God, that this is a person. Why would you talk to them like that if, if you were looking right at them? I don't think most people would. But we get all this courage when we're in our own homes or in our own room or away from people that we can just da 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 and then, and then, and then, if you aren't going to say it face to face, don't say it at all. There's no reason for that. So anyway, the point being that this commandment really gives us an approach to deal with people who we're not getting along with. So clearly we're not supposed to stab them, shoot them, kill them, strangle them in any way, shape or form. But Jesus here is saying, don't even become angry enough to you know, murder their character or to do things behind their back to get back at them or to just, um, you know, make them hurt. It's about learning how to treat people. So Luther says that in this commandment, God, like a kind father, steps in ahead of us, intervenes and wishes to have the quarrel settled that no, so that no misfortune comes from it and no one destroys another person. He would protect, set free, and keep in peace everyone against the crime and violence of everyone else. So God's will in this is to teach his children. Let's face it. People who aren't Christians aren't paying attention to this, right? We see this all around the world. If you have access to a voice in the martyrs, I get that newsletter all the time. And it is absolutely breathtaking to me, the things that Christians all around the world endure. Pastors are murdered. Women are taken from their home. People lose their employment, their houses. um, Their families disown them. They're misfits in society because of Christ, because they have chosen to be Christians and the government or the ruling religion of the day where they're at won't accept that. And this commandment, when violence is is brought on them, this commandment shows us how we are to respond in those circumstances. Can we get angry? There's righteous anger, anger, of course. It's it's not right. But who is behind these actions? Who is spurring these people to kill, to maim, to persecute, to destroy? Who's behind that? Satan. So it's not that we need to get angry and livid and take revenge on the person. 
we need to realize we're in a spiritual battle. And spiritual battles are won on our knees with prayer. A lot of times these people don't even understand that they are under the influence of Satan. They don't know anything. They're angry. They don't know who's spurring that to the, them into that. They're, they're in, a, in a phase of thinking that what they're doing is right and good. They're zealous for what Satan is spurring them to do. So instead of seeking revenge, hating them for what they have done, we ought to be praying that God would open their eyes to the truth and come to the knowledge of the truth that they might be saved. We ought to be praying that Satan's influence in their life is brought down, that they he no longer has any control over them, and that these groups and these governments and these countries become gods instead of Satan's. So it's not about what do we do in a society? You know, how do we live in such a way that um, people aren't killed? This is a commandment that the government can use. The government has the power to punish evildoers. So when people do kill other people, this commandment gives the government the power to say, that's not okay. You shouldn't murder people. You shouldn't take a life. But it's deeper than that. It's about all of us in our everyday lives. How are we to deal with the people who wrong us, who hurt us, who are constantly persecuting us, making us feel like we can't do anything right or um, getting on our nerves? How are we supposed to deal with those drivers who cut us off in traffic? Jesus said, don't even get angry. Don't even call them a fool. Don't be calling them names. Don't be doing that. Instead, we can pray for them. Instead, we can return their anger and their actions that hurt people. We can can love in response to that. Now, not only is this about not responding and trying to take revenge, except for if it's a government and they have the authority to punish. But it's also about us doing what we can to help somebody else out. So if we hear somebody talking badly, defaming another person, putting them down, um, destroying their character, and we have the option, we have a voice, then we ought to be saying, wait, hold on, no, that person's not here right now to defend themselves. I don't know the other half of the story. All I know is what you're telling me, but I know that there's always two sides to the story. That sounds horrible, but I think this conversation would would be better if it was between you and this other person, and you guys get to the bottom of it or figure it out. And if you need somebody there to help and to to moderate, you let me know. But that's not okay. It's also about us helping our neighbors, helping our friends, helping other people. When we have it in our ability, when we have the ability to help, 
Luther says it's like seeing someone drowning or in a fire and we're walking by and we can either go, oh man, I've got to go help this person or we can turn a blind eye. And God is saying in this in this commandment, it, we can't turn a blind eye. We, we ought to help those who we have it in our power to help. We ought to help them and not only physically, which is super important, and that is what this is saying. If your neighbor needs help with something, go help them. And But also spiritually, because we have the hope. We know how to get to heaven. So at the end of everything, yes, you can go help your neighbor, you know, um, dig up their garden. I'm trying to think of the till. My husband has a tiller. So, you know, if your your neighbor doesn't have a tiller and they want you to come till their garden, you can do that. And that's that's great. But when you also know Jesus and you know that salvation comes through him, boy, pray for the opportunity to go beyond even that. Now, just a quick reminder that um, who's your neighbor? You know, that's what the teachers of the law asked Jesus because he was he was talking about loving your neighbor, not just loving the people in your life, but also loving your enemies. And um, the teachers of the law were like, well, who who really are our neighbors? And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was a man who was attacked by thieves and robbers. And the priest walked by on the other side of the road, didn't want anything to do with him. The Levite walked by on the other side of the road, didn't want anything to do with him. And a Samaritan came by and took the man, cleaned him up, put oil on his wounds, took him to a hotel, paid the innkeeper, said, take care of the man. And if if you need anything more, I'll pay you more when I return. The point being, the Israelites looked down on the Samaritans as people who weren't worthy of their time, effort, energy, whatever. And Jesus was showing in this parable that we are to love everyone we come in contact with. So anyone God puts in our way, our coworkers, those people who are on the road with us, the people in the grocery store, um, the people who ride our bus, whoever is in our life, that is our neighbor. That's the person we're supposed to love. That's the person we're supposed to help if we have it in our power to help. And Luther said at the end of this essay on this commandment, he said, if we live this commandment, we will have our hands so full of good works that we will barely be able to do anything else. That means keep your eyes open. See who you can help. See who you can go in and rescue. See who you can offer a little bit of peace, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of joy, a little bit of warmth in their life. And when they are overwhelmed with how and why would you do that? Simple. I know God. And God does this for me all the time. He never tires of doing good in my life. He never tires of giving me good gifts. And I am in a position to help you. So I did. 
I can just make your day a little bit brighter. And I think all of us, I don't think I know all of us have it in our power to do that every single day. It's as simple as noticing the people around you. Make an effort. I love when I go through the dining room in the nursing home. You know, people get up at different times. So the early risers, we get up, we bring them out to the dining room so they're ready for breakfast. And then we're constantly going and getting one more person and one more person, one more person, one more person. And when I'm going through the dining room, I'm constantly saying, good morning, you and you and you and you and you. And if I see somebody coming down the hall, I'm saying, how are you today? Did you have a good sleep? How's it going? Do you need anything? Noticing people. That's the first place that we can just show them a little love. Notice people. See how you can pray for them. Talk to them. Figure out what's going on in their life. See if you can offer advice, encouragement, anything. It's as easy as that to start with. And as people open up more, as they tell you more about what's going on in their life, you may have opportunity to do even more. But to start, it's as simple as kindness. It's as simple as not getting rattled when people offend you. A lot of times, hurt people hurt people. So it's not even about you that they are, you know, lashing out. It's about what's going on in their life. So if we can, instead of reacting when somebody does something terrible to us, when somebody goes off and yells at us or, or, you know, that, like I said, that road rage or whatever. If we get a chance to just say, hey, how you doing? What's going on in your life? A lot of times we'd see, yeah, I'm not getting along with my spouse or I haven't been feeling well or, okay, now we're getting to the issue. Let me pray for you. I get it. I've been in seasons where I wasn't getting along with my spouse. I've been in seasons where I was sick for a long time get it. It's frustrating. Have a good day. I'm going to be praying. It's as simple as that, people. We can all do that. Lots to think about with this commandment. Lots of good stuff. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Tune in next week when we're going to be talking about the sixth commandment, which deals with marriage. And by the way, I've told my colleagues, C.L. Whiteside and Pastor Mike, that I would not be having any episodes on sex, and now I get to eat my words. Because it's hard to talk about marriage without at least somewhat mentioning sex. So there you go, Sixth Commandment next week. See you then.